Amen. All right, we're going to be in the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 13, verses 25 through 33. The title of this message is A Matter of Fact or a Matter of Perspective. <laughs> you got a matter of face up there. It's No, it's supposed to be a matter of fact or a matter of perspective. That's okay, right? So that really says fact. It just depends on your perspective. No, just kidding. Okay, let's move on. Numbers 13, 25 through 33, and they returned from spying out the land after 40 days, talking about the 12 spies that were sent into the land, and they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this, and you got to imagine, they had whole bunch of grapes. This is its fruit. Nevertheless, people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the, the, the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. Then we, there we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. So a little bit of background here. Moses was God's chosen leader to go into Egypt and deliver the people of God from slavery and bring them into the land of promise or the land of Canaan. We saw that a little bit on Sunday. Through incredible signs and wonders, God led them out of Egypt, through the desert, to the mountain of God, where God gave them a covenant, uh, the covenant of the law, uh, and he uh, uh, gave them his statutes and his precepts and and uh, after some time uh, spending at the mountain, he led Moses and the people of God to the place where he had promised that he was going to take them to the promised land. And while on this side of the border of the land, before they crossed over, God gave Moses instructions to send out spies to search out the land and bring back a report of what they saw. Our text that we read is a summary of basically what they told the people. Now what we want to bring out from this text is that the spies that went into the promised land, and there were 12 of them, they all saw the same thing. Now, but their conclusions were not the same. In fact, they were completely different. What made the difference? Basically, it was the way they interpreted the events. What we're going to see today is that what they concluded was not a matter of fact, but a matter of perspective. I, I was thinking, I don't know why it jumped into my head, but... When I was a teenager, maybe a little bit older than that, my dad took us down to Mexico, and um, we were in Cancun, and on the opposite side, there was a place called Isla de las Mujeres, which is an island that you can go to, and you can do some diving and stuff like that. So uh, a lot of people would take, a, I guess, a short little plane ride to get over there, uh, but my dad thought it'd be a cool idea to rent a boat, you know, and so we, we, he rented a boat, and they were taking us over there. And man, when you talk about, wow, we were going like up and down and up and down. And we just had chili cheese dogs, so I can't repeat that too many times, you know. So, um, but anyway, my brother got sick. My uh, sister got, I think my sister was there. My, uh, pretty much everybody in the boat was getting sick. My dad got sick. And I'm doing fine. And uh, I'm doing great. I turned to the I turn to the guy that's driving it, you know. So from their perspective, it's pretty bad. From my perspective, it's, I'm doing fine. Then all of a sudden, I turned to the captain, and I said, man, this is a pretty rough day, isn't it? He said, no, this is actually pretty good. And as soon as he said that, my perspective changed. <laughs> and I joined my dad, and I joined my brother at the side of the boat, and we were feeding the fish at that particular point. <laughs> anyway, but it was all a matter of perspective, right? So anyway, the, what we're going to look at, the first point we're going to look at is what, what did they see? What they saw were facts. Uh, and really, yeah, we'll get into this in a minute. Probably not facts is not the best word. Probably a, the word data would have been the, a better word. They saw the data. They saw the facts. Numbers 13, they went up, spied out the land. 
from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob near the entrance of Hamath. They went up through the south, came to Hebron, Ahimon, Sheshai, Talmai, the descendants of Anak were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Then they came to the valley of Eshkol. They cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between the two of them on a pole. They had brought some of the pomegranates and figs, and the place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes which the men of Israel had cut down. They returned from spying out the land after 40 days. They departed, came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So very. that's the data. They all saw that. They all agreed on that. That was the data. That's the facts. That's what we saw. We can all agree about that. So when uh, they all saw and acknowledged the fruitfulness of the land, uh, they all saw the people that were in the land, uh, they saw the, some of the large people that were in the land. Uh, these were the facts of what they were able to bring back. However, what we need to realize is that facts or data, they don't just lie there. They have to be interpreted. And what we'll, uh, what we'll see later, in order for the facts of the data to mean something, it has to have an interpretation given to it. And what we're going to see later on is that even though all of these men saw the same facts or data, uh, they actually came with two different conclusions, two different perspectives. Uh, and I, I wrote just kind of a general example. Uh, you might have, a, for instance, a person that goes to a doctor uh, because something's bothering them, they go to the doctor, the doctor takes an x-ray, does blood work, the data he gets based on his years of experience helps him to then interpret the data that he's been given. Perhaps he concludes that you have cancer. Well, that's actually pretty, pretty sound conclusion based on data. They can be wrong sometimes, but most of the time they've seen it so many times they're going to be you know, pretty accurate about that. So that's a report of the facts. But what happens after that is now a matter of perspective. Perhaps this particular doctor that you've gone to has seen many people's uh, lives uh, 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 lose their lives based on the treatment available for that particular cancer and the amount of people that have that particular cancer, and he shares his perspective. And in his perspective, he says, well, look, the odds aren't good. They're not really in your favor. In fact, many, many people you know, that I've seen have this really don't survive that. So you have six months to live. So what we need to realize about that is that what he just shared with you is not the facts. What he just shared with you is his opinion, right? They are his perspectives his beliefs based on the interpretation of his facts. Now, let's throw another factor into this example. Let's say that he consults with a doctor who happens to be a spirit-filled, Bible-believing doctor who believes in the power of God and the truth of God's word. This doctor is sent the same data, and he sees the same data, but because of his heart of faith, he understands that the facts presented are not necessarily the truth. Thus, he can read the same data and come up with a different perspective, one that actually gives you hope, one that actually gives you a, a, a reason to get up in the morning, and one that says, listen, I've prayed. He might say to you, yes, I've seen many people with this, and this is, they've come through my office. We've lost a few, but I've prayed for many of them, and I want to tell you something. When I prayed for them, God did something in their life. I want to tell you something. That doctor has a different perspective, Right? He can read the same data and come up with a different conclusion. Why? Because he knows and believes that God is our healer and he wears that lens through which he interprets the data that he's looking at. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. If we were dealing just when we haven't talked, touched on this in a little while, you know I was touching on it quite a bit, but if we were to just go back and look at what the Bible says, the Bible says uh, he forgives all our iniquities, he heals all our diseases. The Bible says he carried our sicknesses and he bore our pains and by his stripes we are healed. The Bible says to the one who fears his name, the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings and we will go forth like a calf leaping from its stalls. So I want you, the Bible says he is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. When Jesus came, he was the perfect example of who God was and the Bible says he was full of Holy Spirit and power and he went around doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the enemy, for God was with him. So uh, that, to me, is truth. Right? That's the truth. 
And so that truth from the Word of God is meant to be a filter that God wants, an appropriate filter that God wants us to put on so that when we see the issues coming our way, we don't just necessarily cower to what the data is saying, to what the facts are saying, because we understand that God's truth is bigger than any data that we see. God's truth is bigger than any giant that we see. Are you hearing what I'm saying? My point is to show you that there is a difference between facts and perspective. Now let's re-examine our text with that idea in mind. So, second point we want to look at. What did the spies conclude? What was their perspective? Again, that we have already mentioned that, but we'll read it again. Numbers 13, 28 through 30. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we see the descendants of Anak there. So, so far, that's fine. No problem. In other words, uh, we're not just seeing a problem. There, there, there's pretty big things to overcome there. That's fine. We're not supposed to deny the reality. As Christians, we're not supposed to deny the reality of what's out there. We're supposed to believe that God is bigger than any reality that's out there. Amen? So then they go on. They say, The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Well, so far, they hadn't said anything that God hadn't said to them. This is the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites. And, uh, you know, today we could add the Medianites. Right? Got a bunch of ites in there. God already told them that. So, so far, that's fine. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up once and take possession, for we are well able to uh, uh, overcome it. So, now, we're putting a halt there, because I want you to see that Caleb jumps in with a positive spin, because the spies are starting to go in a negative direction. Right? Uh, These 12 spies concluded two different things. While there are 12 of them, there are basically two conclusions that are shared. Ten of them believed one thing, but the two that remained, Caleb and Joshua, concluded something entirely different. The ten spies concluded this. They gave the children of Israel, verse 32 through 33, a bad report of the land which they spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people who we saw on it are men of great stature, stature, and there we saw the giants, the the descendants of Anak came from the giants, and we, and this is a problem, we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and because we saw ourselves as grasshoppers, so they saw us as grasshoppers. Do you know that believing what God says about you doesn't just say something to you, it also says something to the enemy that you're confronting? Right? If you believe you're not able to do something, the enemy can pick up on that. Right? Why could we, cut, we could not cast it out? Because of your unbelief. Right? But God had told them, you can do this. So just because you face an obstacle doesn't mean that it can't be done. It just means it's a bigger obstacle than what you're used to. But the same God that helped you overcome the little rock can help you overcome the big mountain. Amen? So the ten spies went into the land of promise. They saw the goodness of the land. They saw the fruitfulness of the land. They saw the size of the enemy in the land. And based on their observations, their perspective was that they were unable to do what God said he was going to help them do. And the Bible here does take sides. The Bible says, because Moses wrote the Bible and he was on the side of God always, it says it was a bad report. Why was it a bad report? Because it was a report of unbelief. Now, they had faith, they just had faith in the wrong thing. Did you know that unbelief doesn't mean that you don't have faith, it just means that you have more faith in what the enemy can do than what God can do. You have more faith in what the cancer can do than what God can do. You have more faith in what the, uh, the IRS can do to you than what God can do in your life. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? You have more faith in the thing that's before you, in the natural. I kind of looked at it from a negative perspective, but let's just do a neutral perspective. You have more faith in what the storm is saying. You have more faith in what the media is saying. You have more faith in what uh, the government is saying than you do in what God is saying. 
There's a report going out right now that there's a possibility that we could go into a World War III, that we could go into food shortages, that, that we're not going to have gasoline. We're not going to, and you know what? That, that's a possibility, but I choose to focus on the God that can multiply food. I choose to focus on the God that says he will never leave us or forsake us. I choose to focus on the God that says if God be for you, who can stand against you? It all depends on what you want to look at. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Uh, now, Joshua and Caleb were two of the 12 spies, and they concluded something different. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, said, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, notice their attention is on the Lord, not on the enemy. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor feel the people of the land, for they are our bread. Isn't that amazing? To one perspective, that giant is my uh, 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 is 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 the one that's over going to overcome me? To another perspective, that giant just means hey, he, uh, it's like it's like somebody going uh, that you know um, that giant is too big to hit, and to the person with face that he says that giant is too big to miss. It just depends on your perspective. And Caleb and Joshua were basically saying yes, they're big, but we can't miss them. They're so big. They are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us, and if God was with us, you don't have to fear them, right? So Caleb and Joshua went into the same land, saw the same fruit, witnessed the same people, but they had a different report. Unlike the report of the ten spies, theirs was a report that was infused with faith and trust in a God who was with them. They actually believed what God said when he said, I'm going to go into the land with you. In other words, sometimes we look at the problem and the reason we go into unbelief and fear and all that kind of stuff is because we see a problem that we can't tackle. And it's true. We can't do it. But the Bible says it's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. If God is with you, it's not you that's going to tackle the problem. It's God that's going to tackle the problem, but he's not going to do it without you. What do you mean he's not going to do it without me? You're, then you're basically saying, it's me. No, it's kind of like Moses standing at the sea. God said, look, I want to do something here, Moses, but you've got to do your part. Your part is to lift up the staff. My part is to part the sea. We've got a part to play. And what we need to understand is if God is with you and God is going with you in the endeavor, yes, you're going to face obstacles. Yes, you're going to face problems. And many of them you can't deal with on your own. But trust God who can. And if you put your trust in God who is with you, who is leading you, then you don't have to know how it's going to come about. You don't have to know how everything is going to work itself out. What you have to know is that God is for you and he's going to take care of you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So... Caleb and Joshua concluded that they could go in, and then we have what happened with the people who were, they were talking to. The people concluded something as well. Numbers 14, 1 through 4, and then verse 10 says, So all the congregation lifted up their voices, and they cried, and the people wept that night. So what does that tell you? What does that tell you is that they're crying because they didn't believe the report of faith. They believed the report of unbelief, and they accepted that report. And they complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. In other words, saying, Moses, you're out of here. And if you don't leave voluntarily, we're going to get you out of here. Right? And all the congregation, in case you don't believe me, jump down to verse 10. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Why? Because you did this to us, Moses. We didn't want to leave Egypt. <laughs> we didn't want to get out of slavery. We want to go back to Egypt. We want to go back to slavery. Let's get a new leader that will lead us back into bondage because what's in front of us, as good as it is, is too much for us to believe that God can do this in our life. And how many of us live in the wilderness or go back to the land of Egypt because the problems that are in front of us, and there are problems, the Christian life is not easy. The, God never promised the Christian life would be easy, but he did promise to lead you and guide you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for God is 
with me. He never said it was going to be easy. We all go through storms. We all go through floods. We all go through trials. It doesn't matter whether you're non-Christian or Christian. What makes the Christian different is that God is with you. God in his fullness, all that he is, God our provider, God our healer, God our banner, God our deliverer, God everything, God, everything, that God, the everything God is with us, right? And if God is with us, he will help us to overcome the battles that are in front of us. But so many people go back to their old way of life or they get comfortable where they're at because they don't want to press through the problems they're facing, Right? Now, I want to tell you, in the Christian life, we get saved, and when we get saved, we don't get fixed right away. We get saved. We give God permission to fix us when we get saved, right? Well, that's not what I was taught. Well, you should have been taught this. I I had the privilege. I, I didn't get taught this, but I had the privilege of considering the cost. I didn't get saved for three months. For three months, I considered the cost, and I realized I wanted God more than anything, right? Uh, but I remember after I'd been saved, I remember, um, remind me where I'm at. I'm, I'm going to talk about the Lazarus thing, so remind me when I get back here. But I'm following some rabbit trails. Hopefully it's the Lord in this. But I remember when I first got saved, I said, praise God, it's awesome, it's wonderful. You know, I was jumping, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, you know. And then after a couple weeks, after a month, I, I had this anger coming out, angry. I was just angry. Everything made me mad. And one day, you know, thanks, the Lord, Lord was with me, and, and I talked to him about it. I said, God, this isn't the Christian life. The Christian life is supposed to be better, not worse. I was never angry, because I, in my opinion, I was never angry before I was a Christian. I was never angry before I was a Christian. Here I'm a Christian, and I can't control my God's anger coming out. What is this, God? And he spoke to me, and he gave me a different perspective. My perspective was Christian life is not what I thought it was. I, I got sold a bill of goods. But God's perspective was different. He said, Rick, you've always been angry. You just never acknowledged it. And now that you're acknowledging it, I want to help you get free from it. Right? Well, you got to accept what he says, or you got to deny what he says. Now, I want to tell you something. Getting free of something means I have to face it. Right? But maybe all our lives, like I had with all my life, all my life, I had never faced it. I just internalized it. Right? Which is why I was a, 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 I overate all the time because that's how I dealt with my stress. That's how I dealt with my anger. I ate, right? And guess what? When I became a Christian and got saved, that problem didn't go away right away either. I had to deal with that. And some of you know, I'm still dealing with that. It's a battle that I face. What I'm trying to get you to understand is when you become a Christian, it's not like everything is rosy. God wants to lead you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow, fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy right and thy staff that comfort me, thou preparest a table. A table is a mountaintop place where he would take the sheep. It's a mesa, the top of a mountain, the top of a hill, as a mesa where they had grass. He allowed, prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. How am I going to get there? Sometimes i got to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But if I'm not willing to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and follow him, I won't get to the goodness on the other side. I'm going to stay where I'm at. Right? And if I stay where I'm at, you know, but Jesus is going somewhere else, I can live the Christian life and get to heaven where I'm at, but I'm not going to experience all the goodness of God in the land of the living that God wants me to experience. I want to experience the goodness of God in the land of the living. But in order to experience that, guess what? The, the same word of God that cuts also heals. I've got to let him do surgery on me i got to let him cut out stuff in my life. And in order to let him cut out stuff in my life, he don't just come in. God's not like that. He doesn't just come in and say, hey, man, you got this. i got to cut it out. No, God. Oh, shut up. I'm going to cut this out. He doesn't do that. What does he wait for? He waits for us to acknowledge, man, i got this stuff in my life. Right? God, I, I don't have the ability to deal with this, but your word teaches me that you do. So, God, if you'll help me, I want to give this to you. Will you help me deal with this stuff? And God said, that's what I've been waiting for. Let me give you another perspective, right? Another perspective, you, your house is a, is, a, is a house full of rooms. 
okay? And so when you get saved, you're giving your house to the Lord. You give Jesus permission. You say, I'm giving you the title deed to my house. So now that he has a title deed to the house, he can come in anytime he wants. But it still belongs to you in the sense that it's still your house, but you gave him the title deed. You gave him permission to come in. But you know what he won't do? He won't go into a room you won't let him in. Well, that's the dark room. I don't even like to go in that room. Right? Well, can I go in that room? No. Okay. Can I go in that room? No. What's in that room? You know, and it's not, he doesn't force you, he doesn't make you, but why does he want to go into that room? Because he is the light. And healing comes when you allow the light into the dark places. The problem is when you allow the light into the dark places, you see all the junk that's in the room. You see the anger, you see the hurt, you see the resentment, you see the pain, you see all these things, and you don't want to deal with it. But God doesn't want to reveal it to you so that you can just leave it there. He wants to remove it from you, but he won't take it away from you. He needs you to give it to him. Well, I'm not sure I want to do that. That's fine. Just stay where you're at. But you're going to live the same life you're living, right? Until you allow him to take you into that land where there are giants, uh, maybe a giant of, of my past, or a giant of abuse, or a giant of, of this, or a giant of that. I don't want to deal with that. But God says, I'm with you. You can take that down if you'll let me take you in there. But it's so big, I don't know how I can do it. Uh, you don't have to do it on your own. I'm going to do it. I just need you to pick up the stone and throw it. You hear what I'm saying? bringing that David metaphor in. Anyway, anyway, so anyway, what the people failed to realize is that just because someone saw something when they were getting this report, well, let's start at the top. What's interesting here is that the people who were listening to the reports were not even there in the promised land to see what the spies saw. They also concluded something, but their conclusions were not based on first-hand knowledge or first-hand data, but on a report they see, received from other people. So much of the church is buying into what the media is telling you. I'm not here to preach about how bad the media is, but I'm telling you the media is feeding you what they want you to believe. And they're not fomenting faith, they're fomenting fear, because fear sells. I'm not saying not to look at the media or not to look, but recognize that everyone presents something from a perspective. Don't say, well, I get the facts here. No, you get a perspective based on facts. They're going to bring out what they want you to believe. I'm not bashing the media. I'm just trying to tell you that there are usually two sides to every story. Okay? When you recognize there's a perspective, it will help you to say to yourself, well, wait a minute, I, I kind of, you know, I tend to favor to what they say, but I need to realize there's a perspective here too. They want to sell news. They want to create a niche. They want, there's stuff behind this. So they're not all in it for you. They're not all in it just because it's, it's the, uh, 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 the noble thing to do. News is a business. And when we recognize that, you don't just buy into what everybody's saying. We recognize that in church, right? We recognize that, man, there are some people out there preaching that their motives aren't necessarily for your best, but to kind of fill their pockets, right? We understand that. We're not going to say who or what or any of that, but Paul talks about that. I'm not saying anything to bash anybody. I'm just saying even in Paul's day, he said they all, they're, all, they're, they're greedy, they're covetous, they just want you, your money. He said that. So we understand that, right? We understand that when it comes to preachers, why don't we understand that with some of the reports that are going out, some of the things that are happening, right? I don't want to comment too much on, on what's happening there, but just give you another perspective. I think you, everybody saw there's a buy over trying to take place in Twitter, right? Right? And what you didn't know before, I didn't know before, but you thought, I'm not on Twitter. So all I know is that on Twitter, they, people give their opinions or perspectives, I think, 25 words or less, or those of you all that use it, something like that, right? So anyway, what you don't know is that Supposedly, when he was going to buy Twitter, what they revealed, what he knew and they revealed, was 5% of 
the data on Twitter is not real people, it's robots. Right? But then somebody else said the reality is it might be 80% of that which you see on Twitter is a bot. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but 5, 20, 80, what I'm trying to get you to understand is somebody is feeding us something. You hear what I'm saying? It's not people with opinions. It's people that are trying to shape opinions. And when we recognize that, don't just buy into everything that you hear or see. I tell you, don't just take, don't just take what I tell you and, and accept it. I don't want you to do that. I want you to go home. I want you to study. I want you to look at I want you to use the knowledge that you have and say, well, Pastor, I, I'm struggling with that. Can we talk about that? And, and, and if you come into the same place, that's fine. You, you need to think. You need to use your mind, brain. You need to do that. It's important that you do that. Don't just buy it just because I say it. Right Now, you can lend more credibility to people that have shown themselves credible in your lives. I'm not saying that, but never forget that it comes through a perspective. It comes through an individual. You're, I was talking with somebody right before the service. You're getting my perspective. For every person that can grasp what I'm saying from my perspective, I've talked to other people that they can't understand anything that I say. Doesn't make sense to them, because the way I think doesn't match the way they think. It's a perspective. It doesn't invalidate my perspective, but understand it's a perspective that I have. What the people of this day fail to realize is that just because someone saw something, even though they are godly people on a godly mission, the people, the spies that went in were godly people, they were godly leaders on a godly mission, it doesn't mean that their conclusions or perspectives are always godly. They are interpreting what they see based on the filters or presuppositions they carry. When we are privy to read or hear from them, to hear and receive the reports, we must always keep that understanding in mind that it is also their conclusions that we're hearing, and their conclusions can be skewed. The people who received the report of the spies concluded that the report of the ten was the report they needed to receive, that, we, that their report was the factual report. And they accepted that report of the data as being their own. And in doing so, they believed they had received the truth, but they had instead, the Bible tells us, believed a false narrative of what was really true. Why did they do so? The text actually gives us some clues that can help us in our walk of faith. You might think, well, what does all this have to do with me? Well, let's see if this will help you. The uh, first thing I got up there is, is the word majority. It's a simple point to bring out, but it still holds just as true today as it did back then. We tend to think that truth always seems to lie in the majority. It's the way that we have been taught, right? Democracy is the will of the majority. But the will of the majority can be wrong, right? Sometimes it's not the will of what the majority of people think, it's the will of the majority that are willing to go out and vote. Do you know that back a few years ago, I don't know what the data is, there was three, less than 3% of the people were actually uh, 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 pushing a gay agenda. And I don't care if that's not the right way to say it, but that's the way, that's the way I learned it, that's just not the way, that's the way, that's the way, that's the way the facts were back then. Right? I'm not into, you need to use these pronouns and all that kind of stuff. I'm into what the Bible says. Right? So, back then, it was less than 3% of the people were pushing a gay agenda, but that less than 3% of the people determined the will of the majority. Why? Because they were willing to use their voice. Right? So, the majority is not always right. We tend to think it is. If a majority of the people believe it, we think to ourselves it must be true. However, what we need to realize is that like the incidents in this text, numbers on your side doesn't mean that you're right. The majority of the people present when Jesus was before Pilate voted to crucify him. But how many of you know on that day the majority was wrong? Anybody with me? In this case, and in many other cases, what we find is the majority can and often is wrong. 
The other thing that we struggle with is we struggle with the immediate. Numbers 14, 20 through 24. But truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord because all these men, this is the Lord talking to Moses about the fact that the people had chosen a bad report. Because all these men who had seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. Uh, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. You see, what happened was when the Israelites were confronted with the immediate, they forgot uh, everything that God had done previously and everything that God promised he would do in the future for them. Right? Why? why, why? You, ever, you ever talk to somebody that was like, uh, you know, everything's going pretty good, and you talk to them, and they're like just all out of sorts, and you say, what's going on? And you say, oh, I don't know. They just feel bad. Or they feel mad. Right? And they're willing to, because they feel mad, in one moment of feeling mad, they're willing to throw away everything for that moment of feeling mad. They forget about everything because they're concerned with the immediate. The Israelites did it all the time. We're hungry. Moses, and they grumble. The Bible says they would grumble against Moses, and they would grumble against God. Why? Because they wanted meat. They wanted food. They wanted this. And God proved himself over and over and over and over again. But instead of asking in faith, you have not because you ask not, they grumbled. And they complain. Why? Because that's how I feel. I'm thirsty. And if I'm thirsty and I don't have something to satisfy my thirst, then you're not a good God. You're not a good leader. You're not this because I'm thirsty. And that's not the case at all. You hear what I'm saying? The Israelites forgot all that God had done for them and what, they should, what it should mean for them because in the present immediate situation they found themselves in, they were fearful. How often had the Israelites complained in the desert because in the immediate they were hungry and thirsty, forgetting all the miracles that God had done in their midst. Psalms 103 verse 7 says he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. They all saw the same thing. Moses and the children of Israel saw the same thing. But when the Israelites saw food, they said, thank you very much. What are you going to do for me now? When, the, when Moses saw God rain down food from heaven, he said, Jehovah Jireh. The Lord, my provider. If God is with us, I'll never go hungry. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The third thing they struggle with is the, 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 what they saw with their eyes, the visible. They had to see it to believe it. Hebrews 3.19 uh, through verse 4.2. So uh, we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. They didn't enter the promised land. The writer of Hebrews is talking about our text and the Israelites going into the promised land. They could not enter because of unbelief. Therefore, since the promise remains of entering into his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So in order for the word of God to profit you, you've got to mingle it with faith. I like the translation says they didn't mingle it with faith. And what is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things seen, the evidence of things not seen. So if you're seeing it, it's not faith. What did he say to Thomas? He said, Thomas said, unless I put my hands in your sides and my fingers in, your, you know, in, your, in the wrists, I'm not going to believe that Jesus was here unless I do that. So Jesus shows up next week and he said, put your hand in my sides, put your hand, touch here, hand there. And he said, Thomas, he, he, he said, Lord, my, my Lord and my God. And, and he says to Thomas, Thomas, you believe because you see. Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. You see, it's one thing to believe when everything is going good. But when you're getting mad, like I was, and it seems like the, the immediate and what I see visibly in the present is not what I signed up for, not what I thought God had promised me, then it's, it's real easy. And a lot of people go through those same struggles. They go through those same tendencies. Those same, it, doesn't, it can happen early in the Christian life or later in the Christian life. And they said, this isn't what I signed. This is not. God's not who he said he was. or That's not who he promised him to be. And we back off. 
because we're not seeing it in the immediate, but faith doesn't react that way. Faith says, hey, I'm struggling with something. What does the word of God promise me? What does God's word teach me? Well, God, my life is not signed, uh, uh, lined up with the word. What do I have to do to get into agreement with the word? And then once I get into agreement with the word, uh, I'm going to believe you, God, until what you promise me comes to pass. But it's not happening today. That's why it's called faith. I gotta walk it out. God told Abraham, walk through the land of promise. I'm giving you this land. Well, when am I gonna get it? Walk through it everywhere you walk. I'm gonna give it to you. When is it gonna become mine? It doesn't matter. Abraham walked the land by faith, believing what God said. You're going to have not just a child, you're going to have nations come out of your loins. Look at the night sky. If you could count the scars, you're going to see how many. Abraham hadn't even had a son, but Abraham walked believing that God was faithful and God credited to him as righteousness. We can't throw away our faith because we're not seeing it. We've got to continue to see God because that's really what faith is, is seeing God. Looking to God like David did. He, wasn't, he saw the giant, but he wasn't looking at the giant. He was looking at God who is bigger than the giant. The Israelites' army in David's day, they weren't looking at God who was bigger than the giant. They forgot about God because right now they had a giant standing in front of them. And they saw that giant standing in front of them and made them hide in their tents. When J David came, he saw the same situation, but he saw something more. He saw something greater. He kept his eyes on God. And because he kept his eyes on God, God helped him to overcome that giant that was standing in front of him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's what it means to have faith. So what should we learn from the mistakes of the people? 1 Corinthians 10, 6, 11 says, Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust over evil things as they lusted, and all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So what do we learn from this? One thing we should learn is not what the majority believes that makes something right, it's what God says that makes something right. God, let God be true and every man a liar i don't care what everybody says i don't care uh uh if uh, uh okay i'll give you an example i went to seminary and uh i went to bible school and then i went to seminary and uh when i went to seminary I, when i applied to seminary i didn't know what i was going to do when i graduated so I, I applied to be a youth pastor applied to be a pastor i applied to seminary because somebody said they're you know go to seminary i just applied everywhere <laughs> then all of a sudden i get alert it says you're accepted in the seminary and uh, after a couple of months of intense negotiations with my wife, we decided it was God's will. So we ended up in seminary. And when we got to seminary, you know, um, I realized when I got there, this isn't like my Bible school that I went to. My Bible school that I went to, Assemblies of God Bible School, and they taught me what to believe, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I got over here, and this was like a liberal seminary. And I'm like, God, what in the world? But I knew the Lord sent me there because God spoke to my heart. He said, I want you to go to seminary. I knew God sent me there. Why did you send me here? And the Lord spoke to me. You know, it's amazing. You ask God, and he might just answer you. But he said, I didn't bring you here for knowledge. I brought you here for character. So I'm sitting in my very first class, very first class, and one of the kids brings up evolution. And the teacher says, well, pretty much everybody knows evolution's fact. And I'm thinking to myself, I didn't speak up, but I'm thinking to myself, evolution's not a fact. I don't care what you say. Evolution's not a fact. Evolution is a perspective. It is a way to interpret the data. It is a belief system. And I don't know where this came from. I think God just downloaded and gave it to me. But I wouldn't have got this if I wasn't in that situation. If I hadn't needed it and I hadn't been there and had to deal with the situation, I don't think I'd have got this perspective. But the Lord spoke to I believe he spoke. Now looking back, he spoke to me. He said, if it's a belief system, I know what God has done in my life. I know what I believe, so I don't care if, if there's 7 billion people on the planet. I don't care. And I, I remember thinking this to myself. If there's 6,999,999,999 people all believe that evolution is a fact, I know what God did in my life. As long as it's a belief system, and I know it's a belief system, they get the freedom to believe what I, they want to believe, and I get the freedom to believe what I want to believe. And I believe that God created the heavens and the earth. And I believe it because God made himself real in my life. I had to go through three and a half years of seminary in a, in a place where they taught things like that, totally contrary to what I believe. But instead of coming out 
uh, more liberal, I actually came out more conservative because I went in knowing what I believe, but because I had to deal with the mess, it actually made me dig in deeper. I knew God had sent me there. Dig in deeper, get closer to God, and I came out knowing why I believe what I believe. I had to learn how to think. That's why I want you guys to learn how to think. Because it's God, you know, being a Christian and thinking is not an oxymoron. Just tell me what to believe. Well, I can do that. But what good is that going to do you if I'm not here? I don't want to tell you what to believe. I want to introduce you to truth. And truth is a person. Truth is Jesus. And Jesus wants to help you in your walk as you work out what you believe. And I want to tell you something. What I believed when I was a young Christian is not necessarily what I believe today. None of it's really changed. My perspective has changed. The way I see things. When I was younger, I was very black, white. Man, you messed up, you're out. Now I have a family. And I realize we're part of a bigger family. And you know what? Just because my kids mess up, I don't say, you're out of here. I don't do that. They're my kids. Doesn't matter. I love them. I'm not going to kick them out of my family. You know, they can at some point leave and never come back if they want to. But not from my perspective. In my perspective, I'm going to do everything that I can to foster that relation, to keep them close. And as long as I can, they're my children, and I will always have them, embrace them as my children, and I will pray for them. And, and I started believing, you know, I said, why do we believe that? Hey, man, you did this, you're out. You're not a Christian anymore. Why do we believe that? Even Jesus didn't do that. Right? He looked at them as like, uh, 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 um, you know, uh, why are you hanging out with sinners? And he said it's because it's not the the well that need a physician is those that are lost. And I'm here to heal them, to help them. To, and so he, he, his perspective, I didn't have that perspective when I was younger, but as I got, get older, the Lord working on me, changing me, realizing life, you know, working on me, God work, it, it creates opportunities for God to deal with you, and all of a sudden I begin to see things a little bit different. I'm not the same person that I was. My, my perspective has changed. It's not so much I think that I put on different lenses. It's that some of the false lenses that I carry, God removes them a little bit in time so I can see through his lens of love. I can see through his... I used to love to preach the truth and come to find out that's not what the scripture teaches. It says preach the truth in love. The closer we get to Jesus, there are some things that we need to shed. There are things that we need to change, Right? But the closer we get to Jesus, there should be, hey, if God be for me, if the God of the universe, that's why I was thinking about heaven and all that God did and all that God's going to do. I said, why am I worried about life? Why am I concerned with all these things? God has the universe in the palm of his hands, and he's, he said, if God be for us, who can stand against us? And no matter what happens, no matter what I go through, in a moment, in an instant, when this life is done for me, maybe not for all of us, but for me, in a moment, in an instant, it's not the end of something, it's a birth into something. No need to worry. No need to be concerned. It's not the majority that makes something right. Second thing is, we are not to throw away our confidence at the expense of the immediate. That's what Esau did when he gave away his birthright for a bowl of stew. My brother threw away his life for a beer. Got a hold of me. How many people throw away their lives for pornography, or for drugs, or for an affair, or for they throw away their life for the fulfillment of the immediate, right? because it's, it's in front of me, it's what I want, it's what I desire, and it's what I need right now. They throw away their marriage because they're unhappy. God never said that you're supposed to be happy, right? God didn't call us to be happy. God called us to walk out in obedience to his word, a life of faith. We're not saying you should ever be in a position where you're being abused or anything like that happened. But so many people, Christians, throw away their marriages because you just don't make me happy anymore. Ridiculous. What happens to, well, I want to be happy, and they go find somebody that's happy, but then what they're going to find out is that the uh, same heart that was in this marriage is in your next marriage. It's not the other person, it's you. And then you think you're going to make yourself happy, and what happens is you make everybody around you miserable, and then you're miserable because your kids are miserable, your family's miserable. 
your, uh, your extended family is miserable. The new family is miserable. Why? Because you got all this jumbled up stuff because you wanted to be happy. There's nothing wrong with happiness. I'm just saying you don't determine life by happiness. You determine life by what God says in his word. And if you will truly do what God says in his word, in the end, you will truly be happy. Hebrews 12, 16 through 17. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Third thing, trust God and follow him into the unseen, even if the visible circumstances all around shout a different story. John 20 and 29, Jesus said to them, Thomas, you've seen because you've believed. You, you, you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, faith is, uh, we walk by faith, not by sight. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who dil- diligently seek after, follow after him and his word and his ways. Amen? So anyway, let's learn something from them, and let's trust God, let's believe God, and let's, by faith, walk out this life that he's called us to. Uh, what did Paul say? Forgetting what's behind, I press forward to what's ahead, uh, toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truths that are in your word. I pray that you would sear this into our hearts people that are going through difficulties, going through perspectives, I mean, uh, through, through, through struggles in their life, that they would see things from a different perspective. Holy Spirit, that you would break through that, that, uh, that despair and that uh, uh, despondency or that, that unbelief that's trying to cloud their thinking and that they would see a ray of light and that they would see that there is hope and they would not throw away their confidence, but they would keep pursuing, keep their eyes on you, realizing, God, that we all do the same thing. We've all been doing, I've been doing the same thing for 37 years and I'm going to continue to do the same thing and I could be an example to you who are going through it right now as I know what it is. Just keep on walking, keep on trusting because he is good and it gets better and better and better as long as you're willing to trust him and move into the promises that he's had before you. Lord, bless your people, I pray. May the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious toward you, turn his face toward you, and give you peace. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Now we can-